I'm Jason Lalone. I serve as the pastor here in Rogers Park, also on the lead pastor team at Park Community Church overall. For those of you who are guests here with us this morning, we're a family of 13 churches across the city seeking to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to all people until there's no place left. And we're going to do some text and questions today related to the message. So if you have any questions about our passage, you can text behind me, ask Park RP, and your question to 22333. Now what will happen is, is there may be a link that pops up. You can ignore that. If you've typed in your question, that'll come through. So and then Jamie and I are going to answer those questions after our last uh, song and service today. So if you've got a question, that's how you do it. And Johnny will be over there filtering them and Rebecca, and we'll answer about four or five of those questions. If there's a whole lot of them, if we don't get to all of them, come up after service, we'll talk about it, or we'll save them for a couple weeks when we're going to have a panel discussion uh, after service uh, related to issues of sex. Uh, so just save your questions for then as well. But it's a privilege to open up God's word with you as we continue our study in 1 Corinthians. And the Corinthian church is something, isn't it? I mean, we're not even halfway through the letter. And so far we've seen that they're extremely status conscious, prideful, and are dividing themselves over their favorite leaders. They're exalting the wisdom of the world over and against the wisdom of Christ. There's jealousy and quarreling among them. They put up with a man having a sexual relationship with his stepmom. As Jamie talked about, or, um, you know, they're taking each other to court. They're struggling to let go of their past. Remember that list that he shared last week? Sexual immorality of all types, drunkenness, thieving, swindling. All sorts of stuff were happening still in the church. All this is mostly due because they've forgotten the benefits of the gospel. That in verse 11 of chapter 6, that they've been washed. They've been sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's going to get a little bit more juicy today, so to speak, and even more in the weeks to come. But why I'm mentioning all of this again up front is that we really need to be cautious about moving through this letter and seeing all of the mess with the Corinthians and not being attentive to ourselves. And especially not attentive to what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and his resurrection. Because that's where it all starts to go wrong, doesn't it? For example, if you start forgetting about God's grace in your life, you'll start getting puffed up. And the humility meter kind of takes a nosedive. You may even think, you know what, Jesus, it was a really great decision to save me. I was just what you needed to help accomplish your mission. And it can just snowball from there, right? That's what pride does when we forget about the grace of God. And so no wonder the 18th century theologian Jonathan Edwards resolved in one of his resolutions to let the failings and sins of others that he observed only serve as occasion to confess his own sins and misery to God. Now I'm not saying don't be warned or not to learn by what not to do or not to confront wrong behavior when necessary. All that I'm saying to you this morning before we get going and as we go through the letter is just to be careful with our, with our how could they with others or even other churches, because every church has a list. If I was to share with you some of the situations and horrible choices that I've been pulled into as a pastor, you'll have to trust me on this. You would grow in your compassion for these cruddy Corinthians like Jesus and Paul too. And so if you're a guest here with us this morning, maybe it's your first time, welcome to our church family. 
We do not have it all figured out yet. And we're not expecting you to either, but I am convinced of this group, and I know this group, this family of faith, that we are on the journey together of pursuing Christ and becoming more like Him to reflect His now and forever full of joy kingdom. You're in the right place if you're in that pursuit. If you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 12 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 through 20. If you're a guest here with us this morning, as always, uh, if you don't have a Bible, make sure to take one of those house Bibles with you home with you. Or if you know someone who needs a Bible, take one and give it to them. We're going to be on page 7 or 897, rather, of that Bible. But before we get going, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Paul just gets right to it, following up from what Jamie left us off with last week. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, the Corinthians say, but Paul says, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful for me, the Corinthians said, but Paul says, I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach is for food and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never! Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. The husband and wife relationship. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God with your body today we're talking about the body and we're going to be talking about sex let's pray Father we come to you this morning And as I believed you, you wanted to remind me, to remind us all that as we open up your word, as we read it, as we listen to it, by the very nature of your word, remind us that your word is actually reading us. And so, Father, I just ask, O oh Lord, that you'd help us to receive not my word, but your word this morning that you have for us, that you would speak tenderly to us as you always do as a good father who loves us and cares for us and wants our best. So Lord, we commit this word to you this morning. Have your way in us, Holy Spirit. Excite us to become more like Christ. It's in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Now Jamie reminded us last week that wrong behavior 
or wrong belief rather, leads to wrong behavior. And so far it's been evident up front that many of the issues the Corinthians had in the church were because they weren't understanding or were at the very least forgetting the nature of the cross and how it shaped our life together as a family. For example, the cross doesn't puff us up, but it humbles us and helps us to consider others greater than ourselves. The cross helps us to go the extra mile and joyful service and even sacrifice for others because, well, Christ went all the way to serve us. The cross reminds us to pursue the low down and the dirty and the dead in their sin because, well, after all, he pursued us. The low down and the dirty and the dead in our sin. The cross gives us the motivation to pursue forgiveness and reconciliation and not to run away from those situations because we've been forgiven for so, so much. I mean, we can keep this rolling, but is anybody thankful for the cross this morning? But not only were the Corinthians getting their theology of the cross wrong, which led to their wrong practice of things like one-upmanship, but also their belief about the body and resurrection which led to the wrong behavior regarding sex, particularly here in our passage, sex for hire. Since some of the Corinthians believed themselves to be on a higher spiritual plane, they thought that what they did with their bodies sexually would have no effect in that realm. Essentially, what they're arguing for here is that if only the soul is saved, then it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies. Our body has to do with the here and now, not the there and later, which led to this kind of twist on Christian freedom. If it feels good, do it. They even have a few proverbial banners with slogans hanging in their sanctuary to help justify their actions. And Paul, like a good pastor, comes in like Jesus in the temple, flipping over the tables of the money changers and tears those banners down. So what's the body for In verses 12 through 14, we're going to break this up into three sections. We see that the body is for the Lord and resurrection. The body's for the Lord and resurrection. And Paul begins by quoting two slogans the Corinthians were slinging around in their fellowship, which helped justify some some of their members' sexually immoral behavior. And the first is, all things are lawful for me. Remember those WWJD bracelets? What would Jesus do? their bracelet would have said, all things are lawful for me. In other words, what they're inferring is that since they've been set free in Christ and their soul is saved, there is no moral law that forbids them from fulfilling the desires of their flesh. Now this slogan, though, is a a little tricky. uh, Because in some sense, though, it is correct. And that followers of Christ are free and they aren't bound by the Old Testament law in order to be righteous, which Paul would have taught them. Because Christ did what we could never do by obeying that perfectly on our behalf. We are righteous by faith alone in Christ alone. Not by works of the law, but rather by doing works of the law, we get to display the righteousness that Jesus has achieved for us. It's not we do and so he does, but he did so we get to do. But you see how freedom to do things can get messed up really quick with half-truths. 
And especially if you have a background in all kinds of religions and philosophical systems informing your theological understanding around the soul and the body, which the Corinthians had, right? Can you imagine all the stuff that they came out of and what they had in their past, what was all still stuck around in their head? No wonder Paul takes such care and time to deal with them in this. It's so gracious. Yeah, he spurs them on, but he really takes the time to work on them because he knows that we all kind of got a past that Jesus is working with. Not to mention that our hearts are already prone to wander as the hymn goes, can be deceived and is very capable of validating wrong behavior. Can I get a witness? But you see how freedom to do things can get messed up really quick with half-truths. So Paul's like, sure, all things are lawful for you. You're free. Love God and do whatever you want, Augustine says. But just don't forget the love God part. Because there's a way to understand the freedom that you have in Christ. And there are a couple of principles here in the text which should guide your freedom when it comes to what you can do or what you shouldn't do as a follower of Jesus with your body. The first question to ask yourself is, is what you're doing helpful? In other words, will the action that you're doing, will it benefit not only you, but will it benefit others? Because what we do with others or in private always has some effect on those not present. It could be that what you're doing is actually withholding affection and love from someone. Or it could be tarnishing a reputation. And I know we get this. If just one person in our church does something crazy or gets involved in some scandal, guess what? We all get thrown into that, don't we? True or not true, it's guilty by association. And then here comes the, oh, that's one of those park church dudes. I know what they're about. Because we are members of one another, which we're going to hit hard on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, everyone is affected by our actions to various degrees. The bakers in here understand that a little yeast does work its way through the whole batch of dough. So what we do with others or in private, it isn't just about us. Our excessive individualism in the West, the just do you stuff, has so blinded us to this reality that we are members of one another and we are just not our own. The second question to ask yourself regarding the freedom to do or not to do something with your body is, will what I'm doing bring you under its control? Or will what I'm doing begin to dominate me or boss me around? Whether it's a habit or an appetite for something or even the surrounding culture, which can be often hard to detect with its prevailing message constantly that calls out to us to just like get and consume 
thinking about a few ways that it does this, and I was just thinking maybe a little about, about something different besides some of the more obvious, but how about recreation and leisure, for example? Does anybody feel that pull in this great city? There's a lot of stuff to do and a lot of stuff that you can get pulled into and to fill up your week with. Now, recreation and leisure, for example, they aren't bad things in and of themselves, of course, but it's important to ask ourselves, have those fun things really been what's ordering our weekly schedules and taking us away from godly responsibilities? I know we have to, Lindsay, we, we have to ask that a lot of ourselves during our week. You just get invited to do a lot of stuff. There's always something happening, something to do. Is it, does anybody else feel that? You know? You know, I, I've come to learn really quickly that it's just not those who enjoy going to the club that are living for the weekends. Or let's talk about work. You know, it's not a badge of honor just to be busy working all the time. I, I hear that a lot, you know. I, I, and I know this really well because I know it about myself. And frankly, just to let you know, I'm really working on that. But what's it really all about, you know? I'm, Jan, I'm busy working. I got to stay busy. That, that's not a, like a badge of honor. Are you sure it's not bossing you around and taking you from, away from the things that are most important? The God of workaholism and accomplishment, it thrashes you with a whip. It stresses you out. It exhausts you. And it crushes you under the weight of its ethic of never being satisfied. I know some of us in here are uncomfortable with the idea of maybe slowing down a little bit, but we really do need that. I have come to learn even more, more so now in these last years that God does so much more with my little and actually what he really wants me to do than when I'm trying to do everything. And the reason we need that quiet is so that we can hear God's voice and recharge so we can live into the true freedom that he really has for us. The second slogan written on a banner in the Corinthian church was food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, which by implication for them meant sex is for the body and the body's for sex. I mean, if all of our body appetites are alike, if you're hungry, just eat, and both sex and body will be eventually done away with, and why just not have at it? But here again is their bad theology informing their bad actions because the body's not ultimately meant for destruction, but rather for resurrection. We're getting a new one of these to inhabit the new heavens and the new earth. We're getting a new one of these, which means there's continuity between our present body and our future one. Like Jesus, this body and your bodies are getting raised up. So what we do with our bodies matters big time. It's not meant for sexual immorality of any type. 
but it's for the Lord where true freedom is experienced to the benefit of others and its urges don't, urges don't dominate us. So the body is for the Lord and in verses 15 through 18, the body is a member of Christ. And it's here that Paul builds off of his theological base and that our bodies are for the Lord because our bodies are members of him. Now, I've already reminded us that we, what we do with our bodies has an effect on others, but also it has an effect on our relationship with Christ. And I think Paul wants us to think about this for a little bit. It's good for us to stop and think about this for a little bit. Because it's usually just not enough, matter of factly, hardly ever, to just tell somebody what not to do, right? Without giving them the why. It's not, it isn't really helpful to tell somebody what not to do without really giving them the why, right? Those of you with children know exactly what I'm talking about. It goes something like this. Don't do that. Stop doing that. Quit doing that. For goodness sakes, will you stop? But why? Because I said so. But why? Because I said so. Just stop it, and if you do it again, but why? Because I said, okay, here's why. And then you begin to kind of get to get somewhere, don't you? Or maybe you do a little redirect or whatever your tools are. And that lasts for about five minutes, maybe. Or two hours, but at least the wheels are starting to turn, aren't they? Sometimes. The parents, right, don't you get, we, we know this, it takes time. Hang in there, mom and dad, hang in there. But you got to really get down and like really work with your kids and like really help them to think through things and talk with them about it, right? And be active. But Corinthians, here's why you don't go sleeping around with prostitutes. Who, by the way, were very accessible to them through their past pagan temple worship and those who were available on the street. Corinth was a port city with a lot of travelers in and out of it, which is always a good market for illicit sex. Because when people get away from their spouses, when they get away from their families and friends, and when they get away from their churches, for an extended period of time especially, that is often when sexual desire is aroused and looking to be fulfilled. The devil knows exactly what he's doing. And it's no different today with all the accessible and in-your-face opportunities not only to look at sex, but also to buy it. How about the massive increase in sex trafficking, which occurs in cities that host the Olympics and other major sporting events? You know, sometimes I, I had the thought last year watching the Super Bowl, I don't know if I should be having fun or crying, knowing what goes on behind the scenes with all the crowds and the lights and the flashes. 
It's all just horrible in a lot of ways. And it's heartbreaking. Because it was what it does to, to women and the girls and, and to boys. It rips away their souls. Not to mention the monsters that it makes of those who are perpetrating these things. Which also leads me to engaging in pornography. Which just doesn't bring you under its perverted control, but it also helps fuel those prostitution rings, sex trafficking, and sexual abuse. Every click and every subscription keeps it out there and available to entice others to even more deviant, harmful, and soul-wrecking behavior. I think people are numb to the stats about pornography. I don't even really like really saying them, but it's, so I'm going to come at it a little different angle and give you some different kinds of stats around it. But in 2018 alone, according to Sexual Alpha, the world's most popular porn website saw 64,000 new visitors a minute and 5.8 billion hours that year were watched of porn on that site, which amounts to 665 centuries of time. Webroot concluded that just over $3,000 a second is spent on pornography. My math right is right. That's $10.8 million an hour. That's a lot of time and a lot of money. A lot of self-gratification. A lot of isolation and shame production. A lot of depersonalizing and objectifying women. And not a safe world we're sending our sons and daughters into. I just, I, I wonder if we should just stop. like stop here you know dear God would you forgive us and remind us that we've been washed and sanctified and justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ so back to the top um, Corinthians, don't involve yourself in sexual immorality and 
Don't have sex with prostitutes. And here's why. One, what you do just doesn't affect you. Two, your bodies are a member of Christ's bodies and you are spiritually united to Him, embodying His presence and His ways in the world. Because both the body and the soul make up the person. Sex is just not a body-to-body act, but also a spiritual act. And so when someone spiritually united to Christ unites themselves with a prostitute or someone who is not your wife and your husband, you are bringing Christ into that encounter. And because sex touches us so deeply, our union with Christ and our union with other members of the body can be severely damaged by that act outside of God's good design. Severely damaged. Sex is for the husband and wife alone. And as the two become one flesh, It is a portrait of God's covenantal love and His self-giving redemption. Ephesians 5 draws it out that it's a picture of Christ's love for the church. A committed and never abandoning relationship. Not a cheating and self-pleasurable one. And since God has given Himself exclusively to us, our response is the joy to give ourselves exclusively to Him. Our bodies are for the Lord and members of Him, and because of His resurrection, the reality of our own resurrection is now set in motion, so live now like you will forever. And so when you are faced with sexual temptation of any sort. Think about those things. And when you feel its strong pull on you, there is no virtue whatsoever into sticking around and having a conversation about it or to stick around and stick around in the same room. Verse 18 says, flee, run, like 100 meter dash run, just like Joseph did. Do you remember Joseph and that great part of his story in Genesis chapter 39 when Joseph, the slave by the way, was looking after Egyptian, the Egyptian official Potiphar's estate? And remember when his wife was trying to get to him? How about that for a reversal of power dynamics, by the way? That's interesting. The slave Joseph looking over the powerful state of this guy and his powerful wife, and she's like, right? I mean, this, this thing's pervasive. But I just love the Hebrew narrative, right, and how it just simply kind of begins to set up the story. In in Genesis 39, and halfway through verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? I mean, you know, uh-oh, here we go, you know? I mean, this guy was well put together. He was all ripped up. No dad bod with this guy. I mean, this guy's like a good-looking gent, right? Well, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Bold. Kind of like today. But he refused. He said, with me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in his house. Everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. No one is greater than this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Isn't that echoes of Eden? I give you the whole except. The Bible plays out like that all sorts of places, by the way. It's just masterful. But, you know, he's only not giving me you because you're his wife. Then one of the first verses I ever memorized as a follower of Jesus and my own battle and fight against sexual sin and pornography. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. But one day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and he ran out of the house. Church family, run. It's too powerful for you. And sometimes in the fight, you just got to flee. That, that's what I know we may be even looking for something super spiritual here, but we, we got that theological understanding. Are united in Christ? Are members of Him? All that. We got all some of that, right? The next thing to do, like when you're in that situation, in light of those realities, is it, this isn't rocket science. Don't make Christianity really difficult. Sometimes you just got to run. Your body is for the Lord. Your body is a member of Christ. And verses 19 to 20, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In these last verses, Paul takes the imagery that belongs not only to the church as a whole, but also applies it to us individually. For the third time in our passage, Paul asks the question, do you not know? Haven't you caught on to this yet? Or did you forget that your body is a temple which houses God's presence? Elevating once again the significance of our bodies. Temples are a big deal. Because the temple in the Old Testament is where God abided and met with his people in relationship and where he gave them his blessing. In the ancient world, and it's really no different today, the temple was a reflection on the deity who was being worshipped. So what went on at the temple or what was neglected at the temple reflected devotion of the people towards that particular God. So a lack of devotion, for example, like if you didn't show up to worship. Or if you brought other idols 
with you into the temple. Or if the temple wasn't kept up, you know, you didn't keep the lawn mowed and the, maybe the paint was chipping. That was an indication to others that your God was not worthy to be honored. It would have suggested maybe that your God wasn't powerful and that God was uninterested in their affairs. In other words, a lack of devotion by a particular God's followers at the place where it supposedly dwelt not only disrespected the God, but it severely undermined their witness of that God. The God would have been mocked by others. But on the flip side, if the followers of that particular God were singing on the way to the temple and were there every time the doors were open, offering sacrifices of praise and prayer and like the giving away of your resources. And if they didn't bring along with them any other idols, those things that they were trusting in that could only give them what their God could give. And if the joint was just like kept up, you know, not allowing weeds to grow and overtake the lawn like sexual immorality can overtake a person. Well then that meant at the very least that that God should be considered Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. And our temples are to be honored as a part of God's good creation. Not just to do them as we please. Just like we wouldn't spray paint vulgar graffiti on a brand new house's front door that's been paid for with a lot of money. We don't want to dirty up our temple by sexual immorality or anything else that is not helpful to others or will begin to dominate us. Because remember, things like recreation and leisure and work and prostitutes, pornography, the list goes on, did not purchase us from slaves' sin market and the kingdom of darkness to set us free by its death. Christ did that. So don't listen to those slave masters' orders to just do you. And the lie that what we do with others in private won't affect anyone else, but rather take hold of your freedom in Christ and make much of God with your bodies, putting His glory on display, always keeping in mind that where you go, the Spirit goes. Dear friends, remember our freedom Christ purchased for us is a freedom from something for something. 
Not to do what we want without restraints, but it's having our desires and our actions line up with God's, knowing that He does produce the greater pleasures and He really does give greater treasures. He really does do it. As I close, A word on the battle. Word on the fight. The fight against sin. Maybe even something that's become an addiction. Like pornography. First, I want to remind you this morning that you are loved. I know that sin, because I know it in my own life really well, I know that sin can produce an unhealthy kind of shame. A kind of shame that doesn't turn us away from our sin, but a shame that makes us feel like we're unworthy to be loved. That people will reject us, or maybe even God. And so to cope, you just keep going back to that temporary action that helps you forget about it for a little while. I've been there. Don't believe that, that lie. God loves you. Members of this church love you. Yeah, maybe what you're doing is bad. And maybe you need some serious help. Like you need some extra help. Like it's just, man, you're caught up in it. It's got you, you know. But what you're doing isn't bad enough for God to withhold his love and care for you. Bring your brokenness and your sin to him and bring it to others. Trust me, you will not shock me. You won't shock me with it. Isaiah 42 says, A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. If you are feeling just completely broken spiritually, and your flame for Christ is just like a flicker, it feels like it's about to go out, Know that he won't turn away from you. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're fearful of the loss. The loss of living without your sin that you've been engaging with for so long that you can't imagine what could replace it. I've been there too. Andy, you reminded me something a few weeks ago at our staff retreat. You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, be authentic, you know, and be honest. And it's kind of like, kind of good, right? It is good, right? To be truthful. So I'm just so with that. Like, don't, I know, no fake stuff, please, in Jesus' name. 
Um, I, I just want you to know I've been there too. But I just want to say to you that in your loss, there is gain. Because you get him. And I, and I don't, it would take me like 10 years, more years of pastoring here to unpack that because we get him. You get him. I think for many of us to struggle with sin is that we believe the first part of John 10.10 10, that the thief comes only, that is the, the devil, Satan. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We believe that because we begin to realize how sin has robbed us of joy, has crushed our peace, and has wrecked parts of our lives. But we have been slow to believe the second part where Jesus says, but I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. He means that. But I'm not saying that there won't be a fight. Because there will always be a fight. Until that day. I can't wait to close out Corinthians because we're all about the cross right now, which is good. But we're going to get in a resurrection. Until that day when our final enemies, sin and death, have been destroyed forever. So keep fighting the good fight. And all God's people said... Father, we bless you today, and we're so thankful for your precious word. It's so good, written over or almost 2,000 years ago, and it still speaks to us today. There's nothing like it. Your word is living, and it's active in our lives. Helps us to shape the way we think and help to think about things rightly so it gets down into our heart, reorders our loves, to line them up with you. Father, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would just encourage our hearts in you, that you'd remind us of what our bodies are for. They're made for resurrection. A little foretaste now of living, of how we're going to live forever. Truly, truly, truly set free. And the battle of sin will be done away with. But in the meantime, we rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ's victory for us. And that's our hope that we're holding on to this morning. Encourage our hearts and help us to keep going forward in the good fight against sexual sin in our lives. We commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.